Welcome to Heritage Fellowship's Sermon of the Week. We hope you're encouraged and challenged as we study the Word of God together. For those of you joining us online, welcome. We are glad you're here. For those of you in the building, I'm glad you're here as well. And uh, so let's dive in to Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. That is our text for the day. You know, last week we were doing a little bit of Matthew review and uh, so to put everybody quickly on that page, Matthew chapter 11, we begin to see the opposition to Jesus' ministry become much more vocal, much more pronounced, and much more intense. And we ended chapter 11, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, with what is often called perhaps the greatest and most famous invitation of all times. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Greg Wiley came up to me afterwards and said, you really should dig into that word easy. And so I did a little bit. That word is, is krestos, krestos, and, and it literally has several meanings, one of which is, is fit for use or able to be used. And so there's definitely... Um, a different mentality there than what we would think of as easy. But the best definition is this. It's, it's a yoke that is better than, superior for a particular pers- purpose, or the best option. So it's, we, we all have a yoke that we, we live under. And what Jesus is saying is that his yoke is the best yoke. Of all the possible options, it's the best one. I just love that because we talked last week about how that there's a work aspect to rest. And it, it's uh, a little too um, convenient for us, particularly in this country, to hear that a joke is easy and read into what we think easy should mean. And then when life isn't easy, we feel like there must be something wrong. And it's not always this laid back kind of doing nothing ease. In fact, that's not what it is at all. But it is the best possible option for us. And so when we read that his yoke is easy, we should read his yoke is the best. There's no other yoke that even comes close. And in the middle of these two chapters, right, it's, it's Jesus is in the middle in the midst of heavy trials and burdens, and he's talking about rest. The time we're most aware of our need for rest. And it's like I could... I, can almost get into the thought process a little bit. So, wow, all these burdens are going on. I need to talk to my disciples. I need to talk to them about rest. It's like, you know, speaking of rest and speaking of a burden, and these Pharisees are putting all this burden on top of us. And, and they lay this burden on top of you, particularly about Sabbath, which is supposed to be about rest. And I begin to see Jesus go, okay, now speaking of burdens, speaking of Sabbath, I, let me just tell you something. And so I see that that pivot into chapter 12 happening in that way. Right? Because that's not what we would do. We would have this growing opposition. I I mean, I I don't know. Maybe I'm getting into my, like, inner chosen a little bit. And I can see the 12, probably Peter, coming to Jesus going, Hey, you're ruffling some feathers here. You're rocking the boat, fanning some flames. Why don't we just lay low? Maybe we should have a disciple camping trip. You know? Get away from it all. And, you know, and so Jesus, being Jesus, you know, he's like, that's exactly not what we're going to do. Aware of the intensifying scrutiny of his ministry 
and his disciples and of his actions and his teachings and realizing in this moment that he's been talking about rest. And I think he sees the burden the Pharisees are putting on there. And so this is what he does. This is where he leads his people, right? They're, they're out. The, 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 you got to get this, man. They're out to get him. Literally. They're looking for a way to trap him and his disciples. And he's fully aware of that. And this is what happens. Chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered, Haven't you read what David did? I mean, that's just a great answer. And that, that was very offensive to them, by the way, because they're the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Not only had they read it, they probably had it memorized for decades in their life. And he's like, well, haven't you read? I'm just saying, like, personally, they were probably not very happy about that at this moment. What David did when his, he and his companions were hungry, he entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priest. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these verses and what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And at this point, you've just got to realize the Pharisees are foaming at the mouth mad. And they've been called out as if they didn't know the, the law and the prophets. So they're getting schooled by this guy who's a carpenter's son with 12 guys eating bread on the Sabbath, which is the, the worst thing they could be doing. Obviously, a blatant violation of the law as they present it to the people. And then he's, he uses that phrase, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The desire to kill Jesus in that moment was so strong. And Jesus knew that and was not afraid to speak the truth. So what exactly about this was unlawful, by the way? I mean, do you read that and you're like, Jesus, your peeps are stealing bread. I mean, like, when we follow Pastor Jim around Walmart and watch him minister to people, we're not breaking into the little Debbie, snacking on them. Like, that's not cool. So we might ask ourselves, is what they did wrong? No, actually it wasn't. Jewish law called for the leaving of grain along the edges of fields and roads. As people are going along, there was no McDonald's, right? You couldn't stop over. And so let me just read from Leviticus 23.22. says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner residing among you. So that there was, you know, you got to think they're walking along the road, along the edge of a field, and there's, there's grain that was left there on purpose. Okay, so are they allowed to eat it? Deuteronomy 23.42, if you enter your neighbor's vineyard, and this is fascinating. This is just absolutely fascinating to me. If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, 
but do not put any in your basket. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick the kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to the standing grain. Basically, take what you need to meet your need in the moment, but don't gather and take advantage of your neighbor. What an interesting, like way back Old Testament law, way of looking at community, way of being together. So I get a home group tonight. It's totally cool to get a snack from the pantry. You just shouldn't fill your backpack full, right? So like get one pack of crackers, not 12. That's what it means. And he's saying to the people there, you should have some food at your home group in case they're hungry. You're not buying them groceries for the week. And you know what? The Pharisees knew that. So it wasn't about what they did or even where they did it. It was about when. The angst came because it was the Sabbath. Number four on the top ten commandments list. We all know it. Right? But you know what is interesting here is, well, let me just read it. Exodus 28 through 10. So we're all on the same page. This is commandment number four. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work. But the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your town. That's what it says. And this is where it gets interesting because the, the law in Exodus, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. On the seventh day, don't do any work. Right? Now, I want to point out, Jesus is not here to destroy the Sabbath law. We've studied where Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He's not here to do away with this. So let's look real carefully about this law. The fourth commandment says what we, that we should not work on the Sabbath. It says, so for six days you work, on the seventh day you shouldn't. I think there's a fairly clear implication that whatever your like, daily job is that you go about for six days, you shouldn't do that on the seventh day. But it doesn't define not working really any more than that. Don't do what you've done for the last six days. Don't do any work. Nobody else in your household. I mean, they're very clear to define who that is. You know, it's your, your sons and your daughters and your donkeys and your cows and your friends. And your, like, nobody's supposed to do work. Very clear about who it applies to. It doesn't really break down what working is. So where else? Like, so obviously, that's got to be pretty clear other places in the Scripture. For the Pharisees to get that mad at Jesus for allowing his disciples to break the law. Because don't do any work. I mean, unless... Six days a week, they ripped off a few heads of grain, like they're, I'm a grain ripper. They, they weren't doing their job, right? So that wasn't the thing they do vocationally for six days, so you can't get mad at them for that. So what else? Let's, let us do a dive here for just a moment. The whole of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, only one work activity was forbidden. Kindling fires. Exodus 35.3. Also, Numbers 15, 32 through 36 says you can't gather sticks for a fire. So you are not allowed to gather sticks and kindle a fire on the Sabbath. That is in the Torah. So that's clear. No kindling was collected in the making of this story. Which, by the way, just as I like to say, this isn't a story 
This is a historical account of actual events and actual people's lives who weren't that different than you and I. Okay, so let's go to the prophets. If you went beyond the first five books to Nehemiah and the prophets, we're going to add a few more details about what constitutes work. You may not carry a burden, according to Jeremiah 17. You may not buy or sell. That's in Nehemiah and Amos. And you should not talk idly and seek your own pleasure, but instead delight in God. That's in Isaiah. That's it. That's what the Old Testament says. That's what it defines as work. Now, people being people, this vagueness apparently was a problem. And you can look at this as one of two ways. And I would imagine there's one of two groups of people in here. On one hand, there are the people, and I think many of them started out this way. The Sabbath thing is important. I want to do it right. I want to make sure I'm doing it right. I I want to make sure my kids are doing it right. I want to make sure everybody else is doing it right. So we've got to define this work thing. God's serious about it. I mean, if my friend's donkey comes to visit and it's not allowed to work, I've got to make sure I'm not working. We've got to define this out a little bit. I'm not sure why God didn't, but clearly he meant to. Maybe Moses got a little old, slipped on the sixth book. It would have been in there. Whatever it is. But on one hand, you, I, I would like to think at least some of us and some of the, these people started out with a very good heart to honor God. Now what happens is people being people is this, the, the, um, this is what it used to mean and we add and we add and we add and we add and the way it's always been is the way it should have always been and it's the way it always will be and we begin to develop our own structure around it. And so what's interesting is the Pharisees very clearly said they're doing what is unlawful According to who? Not according to the Bible, but according to the Pharisees' interpretation and application of that. And they had a whole lot of rules about what you could and could not do. And some of us are like, oh man, I'm glad I don't live in a culture where we take something simple from the Lord, add a whole bunch of rules, and then try to live by it under our own power. I had to stink. Come unto Jesus, all you who are weary, and burdened by all the rules and regulations that we have put on top of something because we thought at the beginning it was a good idea. But boy, we've gotten way off kilter with it. And that's where we find ourselves here. The Pharisees were experts in the law, but they had become experts in legalism. And to them... They had 39 different classes of work. And over time, they had invented this uninspired human addition to what it meant to be Sabbath and turned what was intended to be rest into more work. And Jesus is saying to them, because it wasn't just the Sabbath that they've done this to, it was, it was the entirety of the law and the entirety of their existence to the Father was based on their work and the adding and the adding and adding so that externally everything had to be just right and that they, were, they had so burdened the people. And so that's coming off Jesus saying, my yoke is easy. Come unto me and find that rest from all of the striving to do all of the things, so many laws and rules to keep up with. Can't we just make it simple? And Jesus is saying, 
My yoke is better than that. See, the Pharisees had become not just keepers of the law, but they were keepers of their interpretation of the law, and they become legalists in it. And they were ready to kill Jesus and his disciples because they broke not the law, they broke their interpretation of it. Man, we've got to be real careful when we interact with people and we're the ones that are offended. God was not offended at what they did. The Pharisees were offended for God. Man, we've got to be real careful when we interact with people and we become offended for God for them. Because in this situation, God was not offended with them. His issue was with the Pharisees. And I know that we all want to be the disciples in this story. But sometimes we're the Pharisees in this story. And I don't want to write them all off as like these evil, terrible, bad people. I really think some of them meant well. They thought they were doing the right thing. They just missed it. God, help us not miss you. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I, I, I watch The Chosen, and I'm like the Pharisee in that, and that hurts. Like some of them are like just like out for their own good. Like that's true. I think some of them were trying to do what was right, but yet somehow they missed Jesus. God, let us not miss you. See, legalism involves working in our own power. And sometimes even doing good things according to God's law, but we, but we work at it under our own power so that we think we can do, earn God's favor. And the question is, well, what's wrong with wanting to earn God's favor? There's nothing wrong with wanting to be in right standing with God. The problem is that when we think we can do certain things, no matter how good those things are, we think we can do it to earn that position. It's the message of the cross that comes and says, like, no matter how good you are, you're not good enough. We can't, we can't figure it all out. But we want to be in control. We want to know that we can do it. We really want our lives to be about us. And even when we want to have the goal of being in a right relationship with God, our humanity and our flesh is so tempted to try to do it on our own. And so we have all these rules and laws and we work at it because that defines the external, and so we define it in such a way that we can accomplish it. And we establish that we're righteous because we did the things that we defined as being righteous, and it works even better when I can exclude a lot of other people out. My self-justification feels the best when most people can't do it. And so I come up with a system of what it means to be right with God, and then I make sure it's complicated that just enough people can join me in it, so that we're better than everybody else because we do all the right things. And then we set up a system where you're trying to be like me and you're exhausted and I'm exhausted because we're working to do something that we can't accomplish. But in order to admit that, I have to admit this entire framework that I've established around myself is wrong and the very thing I thought I was an expert in, I know nothing about. And here comes this carpenter with 12 guys that have no background of a fisherman there. They've got a tax collector, for Pete's sakes, and he's the one telling me that I need to follow him? And I'm so offended in my flesh that I'm blinded. 
And my prayer in my own life is that I would never be at a place that I'm so sure of myself that I allow legalism and offense to blind me to the clear presence of Jesus. And that happens to good people who want to do good things for a good reason. It's not just evil world dictators and founders of social media platforms who are... (laughs) Thanks, I appreciate that. I'm only, I'm only 80% kidding. And so it's not that we set out. I mean, nobody like paints, oh, what is the, you know, what's the Hebrew word for legalist? Let's name our child that. Nobody sets out in the morning, I want to be a legalist today. I want to make sure nobody can do anything good enough for me. It just happens as our flesh is allowed to grow. What's crazy about it, the the Pharisees weren't even good legalists. I mean, it's got to be bad to be a legalist and not even good at it. It'd be like being a bad tax collector, like a poor tax collector. You're doing all this, like nobody likes you and you don't even have any money. Because they missed three important things here. I'll find them in my notes in a moment. I remember they were there. Let me finish this last section up with this. When we walk in legalism, we focus on what things we can do in our own strength for Jesus, but not in When we seek to be self-justified, we attempt to maintain the power and the control that belongs to a bended knee exalting Jesus. So even as expert legalists, the Pharisees had some serious errors. First of all, They added to the requirements of the law. If you're going to be a legalist, you should at least know the law. Second, they ignored the exceptions to the law. If you're going to be a legalist, you should at least know the exceptions to the law. And third, they missed the heart of the law. Well, the Pharisees missed the heart of almost everything. And that's what happens when you're a legalist. That's what happens when you're trying to be self-justified. We know we can't change our own heart. We are aware oftentimes of how, how hurt and broken and, and, and impotent we are in our hearts to have established this system. And so uh, that's a, an intentional miss. You have to miss the heart to be a legalist. Okay, so I just want to be clear that Jesus is in the right here, just in case you wondered. He was not allowing his disciples to actually break the law. In case we had to clear that up. Jesus was right, the Pharisees were wrong, in case anybody was confused about that. As a, so the Pharisees, right, so they're, they're, they are watching. Like, they weren't there to find out, for the most part, at this point, they weren't there, like, wow, Jesus might have something good to say. They were there to trap him. They were following him around, looking for reasons to destroy him. As a free aside, when we relate to other people and our sole reason for listening to them is to figure out how to destroy them, that is not a relationship. The Pharisees did not want to understand Jesus. They did not want to hear him for anything else but to determine ammunition to shoot back at him. 
when we relate to other people, it is important that even when we disagree with them, we have to relate to them with a heart of humility that wants to understand them and where they're from. For two reasons. First of all, I mean, I know this might come as a shock, but you might actually be wrong yourself. What if the Pharisees accepted the possible notion for just a split second that they might be wrong and related to a Jesus to, to Jesus in a way that said, we would like to understand what you're telling us just in case we don't have the whole story. What if we related to each other with that same grace and humility? But even if we're right and they're wrong, looking for a way to destroy another person is not the, the goal of relationship. The goal is to see them restored into relationship with Jesus. And if all we do is listen enough to fire back, are we really having a heart for them to see them restored to Jesus, or do we just want to be right? I mean, think about people you disagree with, conversations you have online, in person. What's the goal of that conversation? To build relationship and to see that person restored to fullness in their relationship with Jesus? Or is it just to make sure they know that you're smarter than they are? That you're right and they're wrong? And if we go at it attacking mode, we're going to miss the heart. That kind of makes us Pharisees. Okay, that was free. Jesus' reply puts the Pharisees on the defensive because he uses the Old Testament itself, which they thought they were experts in, and he just went right at it. So these are the three things that he says. First example is from David. So David was fleeing from Saul. He goes into the temple. He asked the priest, could you give us some bread? Now, this wasn't just like you're going to eat on the Sabbath. This was the like, special bread that was made in the priest's service in the temple. This was not for any human consumption, certainly not for the would-be king running in asking for help because his men are super hungry and they're being attacked and, and uh, destroyed, attempted to be, by Saul. And so this isn't like, you know, the priest is eating the priestly sandwich here. This is a very big deal. And the priest gave David the bread and they ate the bread and God didn't strike any of them dead. They, they, they did what was illegal to do and God didn't strike them dead. And the Pharisees at this point are going like, Jesus, of all the stories, why that one? We don't even understand that. Why do you think Jesus picked it? Because he understood the word. Almost like he was there from the beginning. And so, but you know what? On first blush, you're like, oh man, like, you know, the, the disciples and Jesus, like, oh, that's good. No wonder that the Pharisees don't like because he kind of won. Like he brought up this exception to the law. But you have to understand, it was, even, it was worse than that. It's not like he just said, okay, see, David got to eat bread that he shouldn't have eaten, so we should eat bread. Because, you know, like you're the, I'm a Pharisee, right? Jesus says to me, like, so what? Like, are you David? What, are you some sort of king now? Jesus, in saying that, is like, that's exactly who I am. It was fine for David to do that. The king, like King David, the man. And Jesus is going, it was good for him, and it was okay for him. And I can do this because I am not just equal to David. I am greater than David. Oh, man, they're spitting. They got madder than me. And so then, then he goes on and he talks about 
the priestly service. He said, okay, wait a second. If you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, but the priests have a job to do on the Sabbath, so shouldn't we kill the priest after they perform their duty? I mean, we're going to have a, a fast track through the priesthood. Don't work on the Sabbath, but we need you to sacrifice on the Sabbath, so one and done. Like, I mean, that might be good. One sermon, I'm out of here, you know, because I'm like, I'm kind of working on the Sabbath. Maybe that's why we're doing bivocational, just in case. Like, I have another job during the week, so I can preach on Sunday. But these guys had the, the, the priestly job during the week and the priestly job on the Sabbath. They were doing that. So what gives Pharisees? Shouldn't they have, be killed? Well, obviously, they weren't. Weren't supposed to be. They were doing what God had called them to do. It was right for them to do that. Okay, so the Pharisees are now mad and confused. But then they go, wait, 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 Jesus, hold on a second. But that's the priesthood. What are you, some kind of priest? And Jesus in this moment is saying to them, I am not some kind of priest. I am the high priest. And so I don't know how they got madder, but at this point they're even madder because now he's saying he's a king higher than King David and he's a priest above the high priest. This is going very poorly for the Pharisees. And so then, this is what happens. He says to them, quotes Hosea 6.6 again, said, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have condemned the innocent. They weren't even guilty to begin with, by the way. They were only guilty to the Pharisees. Basically what Jesus is saying, if you would have just not read and memorized the law and the prophets, but if you would have sought to understand, then you would have known. And with that, Jesus attacks the very core of the Pharisees' argument and tendency to add burdens to the daily lives of the people and to value what they think above what God says. Right? And then, and then, oh, as if that wasn't enough. Verse 8. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. See, even the title, the Son of Man, is a very Christologic title. He takes the title basically saying, I'm the Christ. And at this point, they're sitting there, I mean, com- like completely, they're, you know, they tear their clothes. They're like in little tiny shreds at this point. Because here is this carpenter from Nazareth with tax collectors and fishermen and some women following him. And this, it couldn't got any worse for them, right? And he's saying that I am a king higher than David, a priest higher than the high priest. I am the one who interprets the law and the prophets and fulfills the law and the prophets. And I understand your things better than you understand them. And by the way, I am the Messiah. And by the way, I'm not just higher than David and higher than the priesthood and higher than the sacrifices and higher than the, I'm higher than the whole thing. I am the Lord over it all. This whole discussion about Sabbath, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So you can try to pick apart all these little things and, and, and get me on a technicality, but let me just tell you the way it is. If you want me to offend your flesh, I'll just go there and tell you, I'm the Christ. 
Like they were upset by a tiny little pebble and Jesus just drops the whole load of bricks right on top of them. So aware of who he is. Man, young people or old people who do young things like go to college and, and read cool blogs and books, do not let this culture tell you that Jesus thought he was a good teacher and a good prophet and a good guy, but that he never claimed to be the son of God. And if you don't want to follow Jesus, if you want to put him in a box and you want to say, but you've got to realize he, you cannot follow Jesus, the good teacher, good guy, good prophet. Like that guy doesn't exist. Jesus knew and said of himself, I am the Christ. I am the son of God. I am the way. And so we have two choices. We either follow that guy or we don't. But don't be trying to somehow create this whole thing where you can like Jesus, but not live like Jesus. Right? He's not optional. A good teacher's optional. Like you skip the podcast. Oh, you talking about exercise? Don't want to do that. Going to bed on time? Not going to do that. Oh, bicep curls. I'll do that. Like we don't get to pick and choose with Jesus. That's why we're going through Matthew verse at a time so we don't be tempted to pick and choose. And our culture... It's going to say to you young people and old people doing young things, well, you don't have to throw Jesus out. He's a good guy. Keep a little Jesus. Just have some of this and have some of that. He, he never even said he was the son of God. That is bupkis. It is a lie straight from the pit and father of all lies. Jesus was the son of God and he knew it and he lived it and he died it and he's living it again. And there's so, it's why, like some of you are like, why does he, does he just like the fact he can't say the word Christological very well? Like, why does he keep doing that? Because I want you to go over and over and over every time I can see it in Matthew where Jesus is saying, I am the Christ. We're going to point it out so that we know that he knows who he was. The son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The messianic son of man has the authority to give the true interpretation of the law, including the Sabbath. And he's not challenging the Sabbath law. He's challenging the Pharisees' interpretation of it. And this we see so beautifully. What he's, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. Sabbath is about that place of rest. Where do you find that? Come to me. Jesus literally fulfills the Sabbath law of rest, not just explaining what it is. He is what it is. Come to me when you're dumped on by legalism. And I'll show you the better way. Worship team, if you guys would come back. We're going to conclude here. And I think some of you hopefully are going, wait, conclude? Like, Sabbath thing sounds good. Tell me how to do it. Like, I mean, really. What, like, what day of the week is it? Saturday, Sunday? I don't like to watch football. Can I do that on the Sabbath? Can I cook on the Sabbath? Like, I, like the Sabbath thing, it's important to Jesus. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. I want to worship him. So tell me how to Sabbath the right way. No. I'm not going to. That's the point. This passage isn't about what the Sabbath is any more than to say the Sabbath is Jesus. But, but the point of it, this is a passage about Jesus' authority and about legalism, about relationship versus legalism. This is a passage about Jesus knowing 
who he was and being unafraid to live and die and then go on living as who he knew he was. And we were talking about the Sabbath. And Sabbath is a great thing. God created it, the Sabbath. Jesus participated in the Sabbath. But the Sabbath, just like all spiritual disciplines, are impotent, powerless, useless, if done in a legalistic, self-justifying way. And it would be so easy for me to stand here and talk about the importance of the Sabbath and kind of come up with my own quasi-legalistic version of that to try to hem you in. But I don't want to do that because Jesus didn't do that. Should you figure it out? Maybe next week we'll talk about some just real practical functions of the Sabbath and what that can look like and what that can mean and how you can apply it to your life and the benefit of that. It was a habit in Jesus' life that he actually carried out. It's a good thing. But if we approach the Sabbath like it's going to save us aside from a a, a relationship with Jesus, then we're just pharisaical legalists. And our flesh longs for legalism because our flesh longs to be in charge. Like deep down in the humanity of our flesh is just I, like I think so highly of myself. Like I, I just, I, I can do it. Just tell me how. Give me the steps. I don't care, one step, ten steps, a hundred steps. Just show me what I can do to make it right. And at some point, close your eyes and tell me what you see. Nothing. That's what you can do in and of yourself to make it right. The point of all of this is Jesus came. It is not about doing right. It is about right relationship with me. And it is only when we acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and Savior and we take that free will that says, I can do it my way. And say, you know what? I cannot do it my way. And we bow our knee. And we say, Lord, have your way. I trust you more than I trust me. And even when I don't see it, I trust you. And even when I don't feel it, I trust it. And even when I don't like it, I trust you. And even when I'm singing, you've always been faithful and you've never left me. And I feel so left alone right now. That's what it looks like to my flesh, but I will not believe it. That's the militancy that Jesus requires of us to destroy our flesh and say, you are who you said you are. That's what it's about. And I get it. Oh, I so get it. I would be a great legalist. I mean, I went to a lot of school. I could have been a very good Pharisee, and my flesh still wants to be. It wants to figure it out and do all the right steps to get the right guaranteed outcome. But the only outcome that's guaranteed is Jesus be exalted. This passage is about Jesus, king and priest and Messiah, a king greater than David, a priest greater than the temple, and a Messiah who's Lord over it all, who offers mercy through his sacrifice, the great I am who fulfills the law. I cannot become right before God by following certain laws and rules. I can only become right before God by trusting Jesus as Lord. I cannot walk in a right place before my Father in heaven 
by doing all the things the right way. I can only do that by bowing my heart and my knee and my will and allowing Jesus into my heart to transform me into who he's called me to be. It's the only way it works. None of us are good enough legalists to get there. Stand with me. So this is what I have to say to us this morning. Jesus is here to bring rest. Specifically rest from legalism and self-justification. Last week I said that it takes work to find rest. That's true. But life is not about what we do for Jesus. It's about what we do with If you need rest from anything, but specifically from yourself, you've been doing so many things for Jesus, and you're realizing over these last couple of weeks that I don't need to do things for Jesus. I need to do things with Jesus. If you're trying to find rest, let me just say to you, He is here right now to be with you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Please join us online at heritagefellowship.us or in person in Jefferson City, Tennessee as we encounter God, touch lives, and impact nations.